It is 1 a.m. Monday, September the 2nd, 1940, inside the go-down of the Commercial Express and Storage Company on Shanghai's Sichuan Road. Ellie Widler's Swiss crew have cleaned the place out. They arrived after midnight, chloroformed the Russian gatekeeper, backed up half a dozen flatbed delivery trucks and emptied the warehouse. Ellie's gang loaded copper ingots, known in the late 1930s as red gold, worth about $12 million in today's money, onto the back of the trucks and drove them away to who knows where. By 5am, when someone raised the alarm, the police arrived to find that Shanghai's largest ever heist had happened. Ellie Widler's boys, Swiss by name and Swiss by nature, left the place spotless. The police commissioner demanded Widler's head. Ellie Widler was already one of Shanghai's most colourful characters and had just gone down in Chinese criminal history as a legend. The heist of the Commercial Express and Storage Company was an open secret. Everyone knew who had committed the act. The newspapers wrote about it obsessively. Widler's audacity was the talk of every Blood Alley bar, Badlands Casino and exclusive Shanghai club. Someone had tipped off the police. Some said it was Ellie himself, proud of his achievement, ever the self-publicist, with an ego the size of the South China Sea. He delighted in topping the criminal record books of Shanghai. For days, nobody had the faintest idea where Ellie or any of his gang were. Shanghai was surrounded by the Japanese army. Getting out of town was no simple proposition. Ellie was lying low, somewhere close, somewhere within the foreign concessions of Shanghai. There are many fantastic stories about foreign adventurers in China in the first half of the 20th century. Ellie Widler has to be in the top five, at least. The Widlers had lived in China for some time, in Chongqing and in Zhangjiakou. Ellie followed his older brother Ned to Shanghai, gaining a job as a clerk. But the routine life of an office clerk did not suit Ellie for long. Now he was on the run. By November 1940, Ellie was hiding somewhere deep in the Badlands, that area of western Shanghai that had once been the peaceful and pleasant western external roads area, or the Hushi to the Chinese, just beyond the settlement's boundaries. Now, the streets around Avenue Haig, Columbia Road, Edinburgh Road and the far reaches of the Great Western Road had become a lawless morass of illegal casinos, opium dens, nightclubs, methamphetamine shacks and brothels. Initially, the Shanghai Municipal Police had raided Ellie's luxury penthouse apartment in the Broadway mansions, right by the Garden Bridge overlooking the Suzhou Creek. Ellie had long been bolt-holed up there, running scams, controlling his trading empire, planning heists like the Commercial Express and living in some splendour. Ellie was in his early fifties. His beautiful Russian girlfriend was barely twenty. Ellie had lived virtually his entire life in China. He'd never been to Switzerland yet he'd remodelled his Broadway mansion's apartment to look like it was a luxury chalet in a wealthy Swiss canton. Cuckoo clocks, a roaring log fire, cowbells, wooden ornaments, fondues for his whole gang of Swiss and French outlaws every Friday. The police had kicked the door down and found the penthouse vacated. The cuckoo clocks all gone. Ellie was at his other bolt hole, in the Badlands, beyond the reach of the police, a giant nightclub and casino on Avenue Haig, called the Six Nations. It covered an entire block, and except for the famous Farron's joint, was the largest club in the district of Sin. Ellie and his Swiss gang moved in, 
set up cot beds and poured themselves large glasses of kirsch to celebrate life beyond the not-so-long arm of the law. Ellie liked to call himself just a normal Swiss businessman. That was stretching the truth. He traded furs on the Tibet border, opened and ran the Cosmos nightclub in Chongqing. It's highly doubtful if Chongqing had ever had, or has ever since had, a dodgier nightclub than the Cosmos. Ellie brought jazz, gambling, opium smoking in public to Chongqing. With the profits from the Cosmos, he set up a savings trust, promising big interest payments for those who chose to trust their money to Ellie the Swiss. Many did, foreigners and Chinese. After all, who doesn't trust the Swiss with money? He would later disappear with all the trust's money. And there were other opportunities. In the chaos of 1920s China, as warlords rampaged across the country with their private armies, they needed arms and had the money to pay for them. When they came to Chongqing, many of the warlords found their way to the cosmos. Ellie worked his Shanghai contacts and started dealing guns and ammunition to the warlords. The money rolled in in even greater amounts. Furs, nightclub profits, a dodgy bank, and now gun running. But Ellie played too many sides. In 1923, two warlords fell out. Ellie had been selling guns to both sides simultaneously. The losing warlord took umbrage seized Ellie in his office at the Cosmos and took him hostage. The warlord hastily convened a court-martial to try Ellie for treachery. Barefoot, with a rope around his neck and his hands tied behind him, Ellie was force-marched for 200 miles to Sichuan province. Ellie was kept in a jail cell for six months until some generous foreign diplomats managed to secure his release on the grounds that, even if he wasn't their national, it was bad form to leave a man in the hands of a Chinese warlord. Some said the diplomats hadn't had to negotiate too hard. Yang Sen, the warlord, was reportedly glad to get rid of him. Ellie had taken over his jail, organised the other prisoners into a smuggling gang that had then made a small fortune from dealing opium, cigarettes and women of dubious occupation brought into the prison. The gang terrorised the warden into staying in his office all day. Others said the deal was 200 Mausers, plus ammunition, in return for Ellie. Free, Ellie decided to head to Shanghai once again. Within a few months of his release, he published a best-selling book in Shanghai about his adventures. Now hiding out in 1940, Ellie appealed to the Swiss Consul General, arguing that he hadn't stolen those copper ingots, but only removed them on orders of the Japanese army. And who could say no to them? Ellie wrote to the local English, French and German language newspapers, telling the people of Shanghai that they should believe him, that he was a man fighting against the odds chivalrous, generous, courageous. Actually, many in Shanghai would have agreed with him. Ellie was a charming gangster. There were few inhabitants of the demi-monde who hadn't regularly been stood a drink by stand-up Ellie the Swiss. Ellie had once somehow secured a cache of German bulletproof vests in his various business dealings. The police actually needed bulletproof vests as the city's crime rate spiralled in the 1930s and guns became everyday items. But could you trust Ellie the Swiss to sell you decent goods? So Ellie took the police over to Hongko Park, donned a bulletproof vest, and told the nearest copper to shoot him in the chest. The policeman obliged, fired at a range of about 12 feet, and Ellie went down hard in the Hongku dirt and stayed down. But then he rolled over, got up to his knees, showed the police the bullets lodged in the vest, took it off, and revealed his bruised chest. 
The municipal police bought the whole consignment and toasted the deal with bootleg champagne Ellie had on ice in the boot of his car. Even the Shanghai coppers liked Ellie. Life was good. Business was up. Heists and robberies were plentiful in wealthy Shanghai. Ellie got rich, trading guns to warlords, bulletproof vests to the cops, occasionally still selling furs to the best furriers in Shanghai, though he never went near Chongqing again. Ellie got his young girlfriend and rented the most sumptuous pad in the newly completed Broadway Mansion's Art Deco apartment block. But the end of Shanghai was the end of Ellie's run of luck. He'd robbed the Commercial Express go-down in September 1940. For a year, he hid out in some style at various nightclubs, and then, on December the 8th, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, and at the same time, occupied the international settlement of Shanghai. Ellie still claimed that he'd had the permission of the Japanese military to remove the Commercial Express copper. He remained a free man, still claiming Swiss nationality and, of course, now neutrality, until the spring of 1942. The Swiss consul was always slightly unsure of Ellie's claim to Swiss nationality, but represented him anyway. Then, somehow, Ellie got on the wrong side of the Japanese army. They locked him up in the notorious Bridge House interrogation centre. Ellie may well have been struck by the irony that Bridge House was just a stone's throw from the old Commercial Express go-down that he'd robbed in September 1940. Unlike many others less fortunate, Ellie managed to survive the depredations and tortures of Bridge House. There are rumours he even drove his guards demented with his antics, so they kicked him out the door and sent him on his way into occupied Shanghai. He then managed to somehow get out of the city to the United States at the end of the war with his young Russian wife. Ellie died in 1962 in Manhattan. His Russian wife is now a very old lady, but still alive in the Midwest and remembers him fondly. Ellie lived a pretty good life, and his post-war days were said to have been quite comfortable, though nobody in New York was quite sure how he came by the funds to keep himself so comfortably. But then, not one single solitary ingot from the Commercial Express heist in Shanghai was ever recovered. <laughs> ¶¶